It's a brief history of power with two white guys. If you are into mansplaining that this is your place, we got at least an hour <laughs> of making no sense to anyone who's not patriarchal. Uh, talking today about Las Vegas and or maybe hermeneutics. I'm live with right. my friend Adam Kuntz. He's yeah. a professor here at Concordia Fort Wayne, where I'm visiting. Yeah. Um, we were going to talk about Thanksgiving. Not Thanksgiving. <laughs> Las Vegas. No, not we were going to talk about Las Vegas and proximate evil. Yeah. But listening in on class, I've yeah. been picking your brain about hermeneutics right. as a concept that I think many Christians would hear that as a Christian concept. Yeah. But listening to you talk about it, I'm hearing this as a epistemological Reality. This is, yeah. a, this is much bigger than How do we just know what we know? theology. Yeah. yeah. Although certainly, you know, coming to terms with God or God's ends up being philosoph- philosophy's ends to yeah, some extent, right? Right? Right, but, right? But can we just again? I've been wrestling with what is yeah. hermeneutics. Yeah. Yeah. Why is this an ick word and not an ology word? Yeah. Um, what's what's it even about? Hermeneutics is the work of Hermes, which is connected to Las Vegas because Hermes is the patron god of both people who write. Uh, but also of thieves and merchants in which Greek is what mythology, Vegas is all about. which is what Vegas is all about. And I think the basic insight in that categorization that the Greeks made is that uh, words are at least as slippery as uh, one's money can be okay. uh, under certain circumstances. And so anyone who trades in things, whether it's money or goods or words, is patronized by Hermes. So hermeneutics is the effort at understanding and interpretation that's just part of communication generally hmm. and before the Bible is written. Because trade is exchange. Trade is exchange, and there's always there's always the possibility of misunderstanding. Yeah. And so Hermes is the one who makes sure that those things work, that exchange actually occurs. And that's not all bad, but there is something to be distrusted about it. Right. And, you know, you get this in the Bible because there are even places where they say, look, I'd like to I'd like to write more to you. Now, some of the writers are more suspicious than others, but the ones that are will say, look, I want to write more to you, but I'd rather just tell you face to face. So there's something about words where unlike like on their own, whether it's in a book or a recording or whatever, there's something about words which is inherently kind of slippery. And it's it's why like probably this recording will be different than when you and I are over Zoom because personal presence is something something beyond (laughs) text and words. Right. Well and even as we struggled to make sure we could hear Yeah. Right. I'm trying to make sure I get the same experience of this conversation that the listener does before we have it. Right. Because no matter what, I'll get a benefit out of it. Right. But how that hermeneutic is translated Through the media, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and then it, hence my wrestling with media ecology as a term somehow tied to this, whether or not it is sufficient to cap capture everything that you're talking about. I think media ecology is pushing on what you're talking about, right? And I think media ecology, which is a more modern way of thinking about how different media live together and function together, in the same way that ecology is about how trees and animals and plants and fungi relate to each other in a place. Media ecology starts with the same thing that hermeneutics in the ancient world, which is where it comes from, starts with, and that is ongoing activity. And that's why it's an ick and not an ology, because an ology means that there's uh, an object. Um, I'm studying uh, cancer. That's onkology. I'm studying life, biology. 
uh, it's a noun. It's out there. It's already a noun, and I'm going to go try to understand that noun. Right. Hermeneutics comes from the Greek ending for an adjective or an adverb, and that means that there's something ongoing, something already happening, or someone who already is, and I'm trying to describe how he is or how it is. And so hermeneutics always jumps into the middle of the stream. It doesn't start with the source because it only exists. You only need to reflect on communication once it becomes difficult. I don't have to reflect on communication with my parents until I'm like a teenager. <laughs> but they've had to reflect on it earlier because they had to teach me language. Yeah. You know? But when you're like seven and you're not full of angst and you cannot speak English, you're not really doing hermeneutics because like life is pretty obvious and how your mom talks and your dad talks is pretty obvious. And then you realize, oh, not everybody talks the way they do or whatever. You still said doing hermeneutics. Uh, it sounds like it's a verb. Yeah. But we don't hermeneuticize her, Hermes. Yeah, I think I think the reason that that verbs get attached to it and it has become its own noun yeah. in plenty of languages is because that activity, while kind of the result of misfortune, has to become its own thing, especially if you engage in enough of it. So for like for a living, I interpret texts right. in another language. That's what I do because I teach the New Testament. And so uh, I'm constantly engaged in hermeneutics. Right. Someone who is a roofer for a living might not be. And he might live in the place where he grew up and see mostly people he grew up with. And so he doesn't have to. So it's not really, I mean, hermeneutics is in some ways, it's one of possibly the biggest disciplines of thought a person could have. But it's not necessary. But you don't necessarily think about it. So that's that's You don't the thing. think about it. Yeah. So I think the roofer is doing hermeneutics. He's not thinking about hermeneutics. It's just part of it, yeah. it seems to be a first principle of whether you want to call it the created order or the evolved explosion. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be yeah. a first principle law of physical nature. I'm yeah, yeah. Well of here. human yeah, it's certainly a part of human nature because human beings are linguistic beings. Yeah. Maybe not totally uniquely in every way, but far more than any other being that there is. Right. They're linguistic. Well, not, I say physical because of the, we know about sound waves yeah. and brain chemistry and wave patterns in the brain yeah. that you can't really segregate your thoughts from your physical body, right. even though the modern experiment seems to think that that was just yeah, you can't, something. You're not, yeah. not going to upload you yeah. to the cloud. Yeah. It's not going to happen. too much. Yep. It's too complex. Um, so you're, I mean, yeah. you're, you're right. Everyone is doing hermeneutics. The fact of reflecting on it is probably a result of continuing crisis yeah. in communication. And that's why, again, I don't think we should call it hermeneutics because <laughs> it's it's using, we're studying a thing. Yeah. It's, it's hermeneuticology is what it really is, <laughs> which is sounds yeah. problematic in and of itself. Yeah. And, and it betrays that the language has become obtuse because of a shift in maybe two centuries of, of thought and moving from German to English and a different conversation. Yeah. So, so maybe then, why would you, if you don't care about the Bible, mm -hmm. care about this little you know, inner circle dialogue we just had there? Yeah. At least the last three minutes of that got a little in-house. In Obviously, you would, you would care because you, you understand that communication doesn't always work. Right. That there, are yeah. that there are gaps, there are misunderstandings, and that there are plenty of things that are not said. Hmm. Um, even if you live in a very emotionally demonstrative culture, there are still things that people should talk about that they don't or they don't want to talk about in the maybe the way they should. So hermeneutics is basic to being 
human. And I think maybe last time I said that I don't recognize a distinction between religion and philosophy. Right, right. Because the reason I said that is because human beings, if you learn enough about different religions or different philosophies or different hermeneutics, are usually asking the same questions. The answers vary widely. And unfortunately, people usually are only educated with someone else's answers or their own answers. The way to kind of cross disciplines and cross cultures and whatever you want to do is to find out what the questions are, because I find questions to be much more universal than answers. Now, my uh, Protestant apologetic training tells me that a worldview is the answer to the question, who am I? How did I get here? And what's my problem slash why? Yeah. yeah. Um, is that kind of where you're going? And again, I think that can apply. It doesn't really matter what your your view of the world is. It's yeah. just a way of asking. Are those the three questions everyone asks okay. in each civilization, you know, regardless of the meta? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know because I personally live inside a tradition that you and I have been talking about. I don't feel the existential angst that my tradition teaches me to feel about myself, for instance. And is that the who then? The who am I? Yeah, the who am I. Mm. Or um, if I say who am I, I think that's going to be, your answers to that are going to be determined by a lot of other factors. So it could be that when I say like questions are universal, so questions would be like, they're usually asked, I think, in an ongoing way, not in a like, I went off by myself and thought about them kind of way. Mm. So they're like, why do I have, like, why is there such a gap between the person I want to be and the person I am? Mm. I think that's a fairly universal question. Mm. That's why you get cleansing rites in basically every religion. Or what happens after I die? I'd say that's a fairly universal question. So I think that the universal questions are not necessarily reflective or philosophically stated. They're usually ongoing. Like, what am I going to leave behind me when I'm gone? Or what's going to happen to my kids when I'm gone? And they're related to death. And they're related to problems that you encounter. Why do I have trouble talking to my mother-in-law? You know, and so I think they're everyday questions, mm-hmm. um, and pr- probably not all that well stated necessarily. But that's where what gets called religion or philosophy, I think, intersects with everyday life uh, for normal people who don't have well, degrees in this stuff like you. So and I isn't do. hermeneutic another word for religion? Yeah, I think ultimately a religion can't do without a hermeneutic, or if it says it doesn't have it, it's lying. So where would the line between them be? The line between them would be that hermeneutics does not capture all of human life because Hmm. a lot of human life is not communication. Okay. It is things like reflection and impression and emotion, only a part of which gets communicated. Now, that depends on the person. Some people are constantly communicating. Mm -hmm. Others are not. And there are also things that are, I think, very deep in human life that are very hard to communicate. So Mm -hmm. my favorite um, journal to read, not uh, like magazine, but set of, you know, this is what happened during my day book is Alexander Schmemann's journals that he captured during the last 11 years of his life. Now, he didn't know they were going to be the last 11, but he's a kind of a famous um, Eastern Orthodox theologian. And he wrote these journals uh, kind of about everyday activities and the times at which he is happiest is not when he, as a famous theologian is doing famous theologian things. It is the days where he goes to church and he 
says the liturgy, like does the service, and then hangs out with his grandkids. Mm-hmm. And he'll just say, and uh, he'll say like, fullness of joy, mm-hmm. not even a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. He's trying to communicate something. I, as somebody who has done that, that exact schedule for a Sunday, totally understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. If you're a Christian, going to church is amazing, and then you spend the rest of the day hanging out with your kids, nothing happened. There's no, like, the New York Times can't come and cover my day. But that, to me, is more like the joy of eternity than anything else. So I think that um, there are large parts of human life, and this this is, I don't think, a misfortune. I think in some ways it's wonderful that cannot be communicated. Or I don't know how to do it. <laughs> anyway. Right. So that there is, um, what you're saying is that there are things that are intended to be private or personal um, in experience. Um, yeah, right. Even, even if they're shared, I think, too. Right. Uh, and that language, while it transcends that yeah. to some extent, maybe the limitation, the recognition of your own limitation as a linguist mm-hmm. is good, right? Exactly. As opposed to, say, bad. Now, our theology might really be showing uh, by by the end of that sentence, I think. But, okay, so again, if if hermeneutics is an acknowledgement that there is a, if nothing else, that there is a power in messages, and yet that power is as much in the hearer as in the speaker. Yeah. Um, Let's just go straight into Las Vegas then, because okay. that's a place built on messages, okay. built on perceptions, yeah, and smoke and mirrors, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. And I hope, I hope, no, I don't, but I do. I want to know the, the occult okay. under, underbelly stuff too. Okay. Let's yeah. go. Let's and go I want conspiracy. We haven't enough conspiracy today. We haven't, no. It's, it's, <laughs> None. it's fairly like straightforward and almost touching some of what we said. Um, <laughs> and I want to stay with touching for a second because I want to sure. talk about why an underbelly is an underbelly in a place like Las Vegas. Okay. And that is because um, there's a, a train line, the main line that I used to ride a lot uh, between where I was going to graduate school and where mm-hmm. I lived. Mm-hmm. And as I rode along there, I think one of the illusions of language is that if it's talked about, and especially if it's talked about in public persuasively, that's what is most real. And when you pass people's homes, so I can think about this, if I'm coming home at night, and it's already dark, it's the Northeast, so it's, you know, it's dark at like five in the winter, and I'm on the train, and I see homes lit up along the train line. That is where life is actually occurring, for better or worse. That's where people are being formed and love happens or or fails. Whatever might be occurring that is deepest in that person's life is not happening where I am. Mm -hmm. And it's not even happening in my description of it. Uh, What I'm saying right now is not as real as what was occurring in those homes at that moment. Right. And so I think that when a place especially has a reputation, which is built up by things like advertising and marketing and you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas these kinds of things that gives you even more of what i think is a delusion about life which is that the description of it is either as good as or as bad as life itself Hmm. that life itself necessarily happens in hidden ways and that's not bad private is not bad Uh, necessarily. (laughs) Private can be very bad if there is a massive gap between public and private. Okay. I'm not 
who I say I am. I'm yeah. not, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I am, I am constantly screaming at my wife and children and in public, I'm the nicest guy anyone's yeah, ever hypocrisy. met. And what happens with a place that is marketed heavily is that people, and I think anyone who has like moved to New York or certainly anyone who's moving to San Francisco, I don't know if anyone even is anymore, but the gap between what a city presents itself as and what, and what actually like runs it is usually bigger than in a small town. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not just a function of like numbers. It's a function of the things that run human societies are often generally darker than what they can present themselves as. Mm-hmm. So if you say, okay, well, we have a concentration here because it's the greatest place on earth, which plenty of places have said about themselves over time, you know, that doesn't have to be evil, but it has to be dishonest. Like yeah. Chicago yeah. doesn't Chicago doesn't exist because it's it's like metaphysically necessary. It exists because it's a great place to put a hub for modern transportation technologies. Mm-hmm. That's why it's there, right? You know, it's not it's not in and of itself amazing, any more than uh, any more amazing than you know Beecher, Illinois. Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, aside from those waterways and passages that allow for stuff that grows there, that now is amazing, right? You went in a lot of different directions there. So, and I think to stick with Vegas, then yeah. the idea is that you know, but it was, it, uh, there's two things here, and and Vegas is just the its own smoke and mirror illustration of most of our life is a a story we tell, and that a city exists by getting everyone to tell the same story together. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of kind of it. But then, at what point? Is the man telling you the story so far removed that he's living a different story than you are yeah, and right. he can't even see your story anymore? And then that's maybe the difference between city and town, um, between elite and, and yeah. lower class. Yeah. yeah. Because Vegas is a place where city – well, just to speak of cities, you're right that an elite in a city doesn't have to believe the same things about the city that other people do. Yeah. Because whether they're functionally elite – so this is like the difference – like in New York, New York has been controlled by – machine politics or let's say dark money yeah deep state almost forever yeah uh honestly tammany hall arises as a function of trying to get away from dark money which was kind of the other political faction gathered around alexander hamilton so the problem is that when you get a presentation of who is in control in new york you'll usually get a presentation of like the upper east side okay which is still strangely like waspy yeah, quite yeah, literally. Right. The wasps haven't controlled New York for a very, very long time. Uh-huh. So the problem is that once you get above a certain population level, this is a function of numbers. It's it's easy to have several different narratives about the place. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody who controls a small town just doesn't have enough people to hide. They can see inside your windows. They can see inside your windows. And yeah. so people know what you do and who you are. Yeah. For better or worse, um, with Vegas, something about Vegas is that people usually don't even think of there being an elite, and in fact, Vegas is a place that has always been disproportionately people that didn't grow up there. Yeah, huh. right. <laughs> and it still is, and it's right. still growing. I find Vegas not to be exceptional, but rather an intensification of things that you find throughout America. So. One example is mobility, right? Americans are strangely mobile. Now, I... Or I, were. 
Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, what, we're right. We'll see what happens. Thing did, but I yeah. say this as a native of the least mobile state, and as feeling exile rather keenly at times. What's the least? What is this? Pennsylvania is the place that has the highest percentage of people who have lived there their entire, entire lives. lives. Yeah, of which... you feel keenly that it's the best place on earth. No, I feel that it's the best place for me. For this you. goes back to what we talked about, yeah. where we talked about patria, right? Yeah. The ancient meaning of patria, fatherland, is not that it's quote the, it's not an advertising slogan, which is what it becomes in America. Sure, yeah. this is the greatest nation on earth, right. really, for everybody. Yeah. If I'm a Uyghur, do I want to live in the United States? Right. I probably don't want to live in China anymore. No, right. But do I want to move to America and be a Uyghur there? Right. You know, so the meaning of patria is simply that, that it is my fatherland. It's where you belong. Yeah. Right. But Pennsylvania is unusual in this regard. Lots of Americans in, in some age demographics, most Americans, live somewhere they didn't grow up. Right. That's normal. Yeah. And so it's normal to be like, uh, right now I live in Wisconsin, but I'm going to move to New Mexico. Right. Nobody's going to be like, why would you ever do that? Right, right, right. Yeah. So but like, I, to do that in the Roman Empire, you would have been elite. You you had to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because travel and mobility are a function of lots of other things that right. you have to kind of... There's a great book by a guy named Casson, C-A-S-S-O-N, called Travel in the Ancient World. And when you read it, you're like, traveling is weird. Yeah, right. <laughs> you right. know, the fact that... Dangerous. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. Like, speaking of COVID yeah. again, I mean, it's like... Uh, that it was always a risk when yeah, you travel right. that something can happen. Lots of things. Well, it's and why celebrities is... were the first ones to have COVID in the West. Oh, interesting. Because of right? the movement. Yeah. And I mean, you could, if you want to go deep conspiracy, you can say, well, they were trying to program us. Hmm. And But yeah. I, I think I think the amount of conspiracy theorizing in a society is a function of trust. There's so a the great fact, deal of distrust. The fact that so, we yeah. have so much across the political spectrum right. is a function of so much deeper dysfunction. Yeah, right. Because... Right. You know, like I, I, uh, well, they've been hiding stuff from us since at least the forties. So duh, it's going to build up eventually. Exactly. Lies will out. Well, I brought it. We'll talk about Alexander Hamilton another time. Yeah. yeah. This is always, it's always been the case because America was never all that functional. We just were able to leave each other alone. By going West and taking land from. So Vegas is an intensification. From indigenous people's, uh, indigenous people's day, Columbus day, right? Something like that. Look, the Americans were simply better at something that the Indians were doing to each other. That's right. how I look at it. Well, if you look at us the way the first Indians did as another tribe, right. we were just a successful tribe. The Comanches were very successful. Yeah. The Iroquois were very successful. We were more successful. Yeah, gunpowder. I don't see America as an exceptional place in that way. So ex- explain that, though. You're it's it's neither exceptionally good. Yeah. That was the narrative before maybe 1995. Right. Nor exceptionally evil. Right. That's been the narrative since then. Right. America is largely... A historically normal place, and that's okay, and that's that's fine. Historically normal meaning neither good nor evil, but a, not uniquely a healthy mixture. Of not uniquely, not uniquely right. anything. Right. Um, so okay. I, I think I think part of the mutual incomprehension that Americans have is because down through maybe part of Gen X, depending on where you lived, mm-hmm. America uniquely wonderful. Why wouldn't you want to come to America? Right. Since Gen X, certainly in my generation and later, America uniquely evil. Bad, right. Yeah. Now, they, they don't deal with the cognitive dissonance of, also, please continue supporting immigration. Right. <laughs> you know, like, which has been the narrative for a long time, which kind of made, if you're a boomer and they're like, hey, anybody can be an American and America is uniquely wonderful, why wouldn't you have as much immigration? Why would you deny that opportunity to right. people? Right, right. 
if you're a millennial, it doesn't really, it's never made sense to me. America uniquely evil, but also everyone should be here. Like, if right. especially American whites are such horrendous human beings, why would you come? Why in? do you want to be with them? Right, right, right. <laughs> so anyway, I don't see America as unique. Aside from now, though, completely different yeah. scenario. Yeah. But the tech conundrum, yeah. um, uh, the current level of decline. I mean, you're, we're not unique in that either. No. But I feel like, in some ways, we have tried to describe the um, the unique placement of the U.S. at this time in history yeah. as a world power, as a symbol of power. Um, in that regard, it is not. Yeah. Uh, it is not normal. No. Uh, it's not, no, it's not like every city state no. always ends up here somehow. Right. And, and narratives that get deterministic about America's future. Mm-hmm. And there are some that I favor more than others. I'm more sympathetic to the Ottoman narrative than Roman. I don't think we ever reached the longevity or grandeur of Rome. Sure. I see How Las Vegas as, is, yeah, it's the pinnacle. I, yes. I see Las Vegas as a pinnacle of certain, the impulses of mobility. Uh-huh. Everyone's on the make. Yeah. Nobody's really from here. Yeah. And advertising and real estate are our primary domains of activity. Right. Like huh. America is a country built on salesmanship. Yeah. That's always been the case. I yeah. mean, real estate speculation. Who are you selling to? The real immigrant. estate speculation goes all the way back to the beginning for almost everybody. Right. Almost everybody was doing real estate speculation. I mean, still to get land is to get in the game if you really have the land. And and there's I, I would say there's a difference here between having land and real estate speculation in this way. One is both scale, like sure. how much land do I own, sure. but sure. also what am I going to do with the land? And so something okay. that I talked about, I don't know how many weeks ago, I said, I don't like the term founding fathers. Uh-huh. And this is, this like, this runs pretty deep for me. This is existential. I can tell you're getting, you're getting feisty over here. <laughs> because I hate that term because it's like, look, they didn't, when they were indulging in real estate speculation, which they all were, uh-huh. okay, and that's why Washington becomes a surveyor. Hmm. And he starts the French and Indian War because he's running around western Pennsylvania, and that's all tied in with land speculation with yeah. the Ohio Company of Virginia. Uh, that was the Ohio country. There wasn't a state. And is because they don't do the work. If you've ever even like planted, like worked a garden, you understand the difference between... I have a deed to the property versus I work the land. Right. And so I'm not denigrating literally all of my forefathers in saying that America was always about real estate speculation because my forefathers were never on the level to be able to do that. Right. You know, and, and most people's weren't. Um, so there's a difference here, I think between settlement and speculation, but the dynamics financially and politically were always driven by speculation. Sure. Yeah. Are they ever not? Um, I think they're not when I'm not, I'm not sure that something like aristocracy somehow constituted can be avoided in a human society. Well, that's it. So in that sense, land speculation is just aristocracy arising of its own. You need an Ubermensch. I mean, yeah, I think, I think the difference is that when you have, when, when the elite is not tied into the welfare of everyone who's not elite which will always be a vast majority right? for whatever reasons. They could be historical, right? So like the Poles, the Polish nobility have this whole narrative about themselves that they didn't come from Poland, that they're not actually Slavs there. So there are all these, and it's it's the same thing with Prussians and that's that's okay. They can even be from elsewhere. 
Right. The difference is that they have to care for that population. Right. I think because of the dynamics of speculation, America is a place where no one ever cares. Uh-uh. And 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 the way you can tell it is that everyone is that Americans you do uniquely believe that they will be rich one day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is this is one of the best things about social science, even as fuzzy as it is, yeah. is that when you take surveys of Americans, they uniquely among developed countries, like some enormous percentage of Americans believe they're going to be rich they're one day. They're going to make it eventually. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Wow. Yeah. And so we have an elite where it's like, you know, it's the a pop culture reference I actually can make. Ron Swanson saying you're either rich or you're dumb. <laughs> you know, and so Americans do, I think Americans do believe that elite and non-elite Americans. And so if you think like that, then it's your fault that you don't have my income. It's your fault that you don't live in the zip code that I live in. So when you think that way, it's kind of hard not to have an antagonistic attitude and the elite not be selfish. Right. Because their understanding of everyone who's not elite is that not not just that it's like his fault, but like it's not just his fault. It's that he's he's lazy. He's unclean. He's unclean. And if he were clean, if he cleaned himself up, mm-hmm. he could be just like me. Well, that's why they're there to be our priests, isn't it? That's why they make the <laughs> sacrifices and pronounce blessings and yeah. tell us how to do atonement. Yeah. You know, we got to get woke right there with them. Yeah. A woke being a pretty religious term, frankly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Give me some more Vegas history. Okay. Give me some mafia stuff. Man. Yeah, so Vegas, I think Vegas is interesting because the elite there has never announced themselves as such. Now, Vegas is built on real estate speculation. South Chicago never tells you where it is. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> because it's built on real estate speculation, but it really takes off after after Nevada has a crisis that a lot of people have in the 30s. And they legalize gambling. Right. Okay. So gambling is something that Americans have always done. It's been legal or illegal in different ways. Like it was a lot easier to gamble in colonial Virginia than colonial Massachusetts. Sure. For reasons one can easily imagine. Anglicans being more tolerant of low level gambling than Puritans. Puritans want everyone to behave. Yeah. And that's actually true. So during the 30s, uh, Las Vegas legalized, or not just Las Vegas, but Nevada legalizes gambling. Las Vegas works because it's actually the least dry part of Nevada, which is absurdly dry. It's crazy, huh? And so it's the wet, it's the potentially wettest part. And in that, it resembles like Arizona geographically more than the rest of Nevada. So after the Second World War, the thing that happens is that the syndicate, and you can find books about this. This is exciting. The syndicate, uh, which is sort of, it's not I don't like the term mafia because mafia sounds ethnically specific. And the thing that a True. lot of, and a lot of people that a lot of people don't know because this is not how like the Godfather is structured and it's not how Scarface is structured. And Scarface teaches you to distrust Cubans, which if you're at all politically conservative, you shouldn't. Yeah. Because right. they're some of the most reliable Republican voters yeah. you could ever find. Yeah. Um Hialeah, Florida is a very Republican place, yeah. just in Spanish. Is that the syndicate is an interaction largely, largely between Jews and Italians. And part of the reason for that is that in places like Chicago, but also in lots of other places that are full of immigrants by like the 1920s and 30s, the Irish dominate democratic politics. And Republicans are largely irrelevant in big cities by the 1920s, except places that are uh, unusually native-born American 
kind of Anglo, like Philadelphia, which right. has a Republican machine run by like Episcopalians and Methodists. I know that all sounds weird. It does sound weird. It's a, it's a world that is gone, but it did exist. Anywhere controlled by Democrats, which is most big cities by that time, is going to be overwhelmingly controlled, therefore ethnically, by the Irish. Huh. So when New York gets a Republican mayor in the 1930s, Fiorella LaGuardia, his name is LaGuardia, uh, because Italians are Pushing kind of back. are going Republican right. <laughs> to push against the Irish. Huh. So, but actual control of power in these cities that is not political is going to be an alliance between Jews and Italians. And so the part of the mafia, La Cosa Nostra, is a thing because it's a thing, especially in southern Italy, especially in Sicily. That's not totally off base. But the Godfather doesn't give you a good sense of how many Jews are involved in organized crime right. as kind of a group. And that also traces back to the Russian Empire. So by Jews, yeah. um, let's just distinguish uh, what particular branch of Judaism. Flavor. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, we're speaking ethnically. So yeah. religiously. Well, you're not talking Hasidics, though. No, no, no. Although, I mean, ethnically, they're not distinct from Hasidics. No, no, no. But in so terms you're of, talking, you're going to look at them, you're going to see, people, I mean, there's David Letterman, yeah. and then there's Yahoo, and mm. then there's, you know, the guys who are getting arrested in New York and dancing in the streets right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So these are people who, their level of religious observance probably isn't that high, but they should be Orthodox Jews. So like, Ben Shapiro style. Right, right. He the, is. He is Orthodox. An Orthodox Jew. Yeah. These would be men of his level of Jewish upbringing, enculturation, Generally. who then are picking a criminal activity right. as their livelihood. Right. So we, I just want to be real careful. We're not really saying that all Jews are this. We're saying there were definitely some men who no. were Jewish no. who saw their ethnicity as Jewish without the religion yeah. as being formative to their agreement and trust in each other. And then they team up with some Italians who have a similar background, happen to be Catholic. Um, and this is where our syndicate story kind of yeah. goes. Well, so it's, yeah? it's interesting that like you have that famous scene in The Godfather where there's a baptism mm -hmm. and a hit going on at, at the same, same time, time right? right? Okay. What's interesting is that the, the Italian part of this is not nearly as supportive of Catholic political activity as the guys, as the as the Jewish men in the syndicate are of, for instance, the nation state of Israel. Hmm. So it gives you, Hollywood gives you a very false sense of how much the syndicate is connected to kind of above ground parts of public life. Because it doesn't give you a sense of how a place like Las Vegas is actually useful to everything that happens above ground. So in some cases, these connections are personal. So guys that matter in the founding of Las Vegas, like Meyer Lansky or Bugsy Siegel, actually end up as donors to Zionist causes. Huh. And some of them run guns for the Haganah, which uh, predates, it's like the IDF before it was allowed to exist. Hmm. So the Haganah is outlawed under British mandatory law, but how do, where do they get guns and supplies? They get them from America. So there are connections here that are personal. And to think about it in religious terms is really not helpful. I think it's, it's, it really is an ethnic reality. The trick in this entire conversation has been that because of World War II mm -hmm. and a particular head of a, what Christians would call the Antichrist, the term Jew has become one of the most obscure, undefined terms in English. And so to try to talk about how yeah. some people were Jews, right. 
becomes either extremely <laughs> racist to yeah. begin with, yeah, or you bring out the racists, yeah. honestly, right? Yeah. And they hop on behind you and start adding a bunch of stuff. You're like, well, I d- no. <laughs> well, you're not. Right? Yeah, you're you're kind of like not allowed to talk about it, which is you're not allowed to talk about Jews, right? At all. At all, at all, and yeah. that makes this conversation difficult, given that there are good people and bad people in most families. Right, right, and the problem is that if you're not allowed to talk about it, it it really then you're not then you're not allowed to see certain realities. Right, don't look at so, the man behind the curtain. Yeah, so is Vegas is always a place that's connected to mafia activity mm. or syndicate activity, and that's why Frank Sinatra is important. That's mm. also why Hollywood is important. Mm. But if you said, oh, okay, well. Give me the you know crime families, a la the way Hollywood teaches you to think about mob activity. Which crime families are most important? Well, you can't talk about it that way because Jewish organized crime isn't structured the way Italian organized crime is. And Jewish organized crime is much more important for the connection, for instance, between Hollywood, which we've talked about with Neil Gobbler's book about the Jewish founding of Hollywood. Now, Neil Gobbler is allowed to talk because he's... Jewish. Jewish. Although <laughs> Shapiro gets in trouble all the time for, you know, being anti-Semitic. So, I mean, he's been yeah, you can't win. I know. You know. No, well, you can't, you can't win because the point of forbidding discussion about something is control. Oh, man. And do they, and they never realize that you're going to guarantee discussion the moment yes, you do it. Yes, right. Of course you will. <laughs> of course you will. So, I mean, the, the, the major guy in the found, in the, in the actual, like, making Vegas what it is and the Vegas Strip, which was originally municipally outside Vegas. Right, right. It was annexed by Vegas formally. But it was outside Vegas because you could do more things in real estate just outside. And Bugsy Siegel is the guy that comes from Chicago, originates in Chicago, and buys the Flamingo. Right. And begins to turn it into a destination. So right, right, right. I I mean Vegas is such an improbable place to have a modern city of it such size. It makes absolutely zero sense, aside from Bismarck, maybe more less sense. <laughs> but they're both kind of similarly weird. They are, they, um, Bismarck, they are, Bismarck at least a, is near a river. Yeah, yeah. Ecologically, right. and Vegas makes no sense. It was making money before you were just making money on making money. Yeah, right. And Vegas is just making money on making money. Right. And licentious hedonism, yeah. which you know might be its own kind of conversation, Shoot, I wanted to go somewhere else with with uh, the strip and the flamingo. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, so where's where's our deep dark occult secret about the founding of the flamingo? Do we got something? Well, uh, there there or... are always there. Are, uh, Vegas is a great place for for burials. Okay, because it's a place. Um, go now, out with your spouse, come home alone. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. What stays in Vegas stays. Or what happens? <laughs> and a lot. Well, but a lot of people that um a lot of people that are fundamental to the founding of Vegas or the establishment of Vegas as what as what it is, including Kerkorian, mm-hmm. uh, who's not Jewish. Another, a, a group nobody even knows about. Maybe they do now because of you know, Twitter and then literal drone strikes are the Armenians. Yeah, sure. And the Armenians, uh, like Kirk Kerkorian, a lot of them that are fundamental to Vegas's history are buried in Hollywood. Are they not? Are not Armenians the ones that are in Wag the Dog? Isn't that, that whole movie is about, do you know that movie? I know that it is a movie. Do you know the plot of the movie, the theory? What's supposed I, to be showing? We should do this in every episode because I think people think I'm like omniscient, but I'm really not. You've only because, read a lot. Be, right, because if you This bring is up, why you need me, is I watched it all. You, br- you right, read it all. I haven't. I've watched like almost nothing. Yeah, so Wag the Dog, but Chino and yeah. Dustin Hoffman. I mean, you got good yeah. acting in this yeah. thing. And it's about the need to create a story in the news. Right. 
as a distraction okay, so, from the other problem. And I'm yeah, pretty confident they do it by using the Armenians, which would be really interesting given that that's yeah. well, such a little known thing. Well, it, they even get Jim Belushi out there because he's Armenian or something. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about the, the connection point, but. Um, he could he could be Georgian. That sounds like a Georgian but name. It wasn't Georgia. It definitely wasn't okay. Georgia. Okay. And it it is the movie that when I started distrusting the news postcode, right, yeah. I immediately thought, you know what? Yeah. That movie told me this fifteen years ago. Right, right, I right, just didn't listen. Right. Well, sometimes they like show you what's going on. Right. But they don't they don't present it as a likely narrative. Right. Or Hollywood will often put something that really is sort of a good point or an objection to a mainstream idea or even the idea that they're presenting in the movie, but they'll put it in the villain's mouth, hmm. Hmm. you know? And so I think um, Vig- Th- Thanos as the Marvel culmination of bad guys is kind of a Nietzschean and justify the means if some must die, so some must live. Yeah. He's got a virtue ethic yeah. that is wicked. Yeah. And yet... It is his. He voices the zeitgeist of our age yeah. politically yeah. more than the Avengers who stop him do. Right. So I think if you think about Vegas, Vegas is one of the biggest contrasts between what you're taught it's about and what it has actually been, been about. about right. right. Because what it's actually been about is extremely long term thinking and not the, the people that found it. Like, so real estate. To be successful in real estate, you have to think very differently than the people that are your customers. You have to think very long term. You have to think, how will property in this neighborhood appreciate? You have to think, what if I do this? What will happen in 20 years? Okay. You have to think, how can I have enough money so that no matter what ought to happen to this property its value appreciates because yeah, I've made right. it appear so valuable right, right. that you can't help but think it's valuable right. until I move on and do it somewhere right. else. So you sell, you know, like fast direct flights from Los Angeles, mm. but you don't tell people in Los Angeles, the way that I'm making money is for you to, I'm making tons of money long-term because you're going to lose a bunch of money short-term. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend a bunch of money short-term. That's mm-hmm. how I'm going to make money. Right. House always wins kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Because otherwise there's no way to make money doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. you know, you're going to have to let people win sometimes, but ultimately you're going to win so much more by getting people to spend. Right. Right. Similar to, you know, the, probably the, the, the two biggest fortunes that come out of the California gold rush are Stanford, who's d- dealing in transportation and Levi Strauss, <laughs> who is selling stuff to the people that come there. Right. It's not somebody directly mining the gold. Similarly, you know, someone who goes to Vegas to make money, I, I suppose there, it is possible to be a successful professional gambler. There are certainly people that make money. There are poker players who stay on the circuit, but yeah. I mean, it's hard and you're, it's, it's rare. very hard and it's very rare. Yeah. It's much less rare to make money selling real estate. In fact, I don't know about these numbers. It'd be interesting to see whether it's easier or harder to stay on the pro poker circuit or the pro golf circuit. That'd be a nice comparison, too, of the level of commitment yeah. and luck and the rarity of th- the guy who can do it right, over and exactly. over again. And I think poker, poker, and I've been looking into that recently kind of as a thing, not really as like a avocation, because I don't think I have the right personality for it. Because I think poker, you need a... You get this with chess, 
personalities too. And huh. there is crossover. Huh. There are some people that because it they're they're both sort of obsessive because in and of themselves mm-hmm. it's like I'm trading pieces of paper or I'm moving little right. figurines around a board. That's not what it is when you're doing it for the seven no, thousandth time. Game. It's a mind game and it requires an an obsessive personality and a desire to analyze. Golf is hard hmm. and weird, but does not necessarily attract obsession and you don't need other people to play golf no but to be as good as the guys who are good at it you have to I be think obsessive. you have to the obsession that might be true in yeah. everything i'm an so obsessive you think you think every, not everyone who plays poker has to be obsessive but i might be obsessive about it uh crap you had you gave me a really good question coming out of poker that i've completely lost okay so we'll go back into selling shovels to the people yeah. digging for gold which is the smart game yeah that's, that's the that's, long game um, so Al- Levi Strauss Al- was like, we'll sell you pants. Right. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Altucher, that's it. James Altucher, who I, I'll recommend from time to time, he, not everything he says, but uh, he's pretty good on that kind of insight mm-hmm. that generally money is made if you're going to try to make money, uh, not with the big thing, but with the sucker who's trying to get to the big yeah, thing. Yeah, right, right, and right. And you just right. know the story. And you're like, oh, you need this? Okay, here you go. Right. Sell right. shovels. Vegas, then, is selling the experience of the American dream packaged into a weekend since you can't get it all the time. Right. A weekend. I mean, the American dream involving golf too. And well, completely rich, like you said, like we all think we're going to make it to wealth. Right. Since we can't, well, we'll give you a weekend. Right. Right. Yeah. I still want to know about the blood and the demons. And even though we don't believe in demons, ghosts, whatever, you know, you know, I want to know, I want to know where the real horror is in Vegas. Aside from, you know, there were some, some Jewish guys who weren't really Jewish anymore and wanted to make money in the long game. And well, they, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't, they weren't religiously Jewish and th- that's kind of like by the by, because I think the, the dynamic of Vegas, it, it's really not that hard to figure out. There's both all the stuff that people go there and bury there. Yeah. Um, like metaphorically. Yeah. And then there is, there are things like the Vegas shooting where the meaning of it is completely opaque. Hmm. It's just sort of random violence. In fact, the largest mass shooting in American history, allegedly, I don't know, I don't know the numbers on those things, Hmm. but what happens is that you'll have like an intricate explanation or multiple explanations provided for um, the Kennedy assassination Hmm. But there is no explanation provided for who and how many people were killed mm-hmm. and or why would a person do this? Right. A guy who prior to that has, you know, a live in Filipina girlfriend and plays video poker in his like boomer retirement community. Huh. Which are known things. Now right. he happens to be the son of a man who was on the FBI most wanted list longer than anyone else in FBI history. Wow. And I don't know enough about Paddock. And at this point, one just begins to speculate. Yeah. But he's a strange man and just on its face. And he's pretty good at gambling. Huh. But he doesn't gamble in a way that is at all sociable. He makes his money playing video poker. Yeah. And so those huh. are just known things. You can go find those things out very easily. But I think what's significant about that is that you get a horrible tragedy for which they don't even bother to provide you an explanation. Yeah. Which is different from a lot of other things that get handled conspiratorially because of the trust gap in American, especially the last 50 years of American Mm -hmm. history. So why was Kennedy shot? Mm -hmm. Why was the other Kennedy shot? Hmm. Why did we go into Vietnam? 
was Watergate actually bad? Um, why did we go into this war? Why did we go into that war? Why did the towers fall? Did the towers fall? Blah, 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 blah. The reason you have different explanations is because you have different trust gaps. Yeah. On the Vegas shooting, you don't even really have an explanation. No, uh, it just it just happened. It just... And there's... Yeah. That's for all those shootings, by the way. Yeah. Well, the explanation is we have to get guns off the street. Right. But, no, I mean, it's never... I, I've heard there's the video game lob. So this is violence from video games. Right. And as one who's recently which rethought... Doesn't ex- which doesn't explain why a boomer who plays video poker would do that. Uh, yeah. He didn't grow up and with violent video games. I am I am recently the most opposed to video games person that previously played video games forever. <laughs> You're ever going right. to find... And I, my reason is never going to be that people yeah. are going to kill each other because of these things. Right, correct. They're going to be so lazy they're not going to do anything correct. because of these things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because America is a place where you can get anything that will decrease your energy. Yes. We are not a place yes. that radicalizes you into action. No. You know, so you can take huh. as many downers as you want, hmm. but if you take an upper, that's that's illegal. It's right? limited, yeah, sure. You know, so st- steroids are illegal, but opiates, We still got caffeine being sold like well, hotcakes. We, we, to... we, got, we got caffeine. I mean, maybe that's the last. And we could argue that sugar is ultimately depressant, but acts initially as a stimulant. Yeah, But it, yeah. it really does crush you pretty hard, pretty fast. Yeah. There's a book that I'm not going to remember the name of. I want to say it's something like Taking the House Down. It's written by a guy who, um, so I'm trying to remember. I, I read it because it was being read by the coaching staff of the Portland Trailblazers as a like okay. a, a strategy book. Okay, so That's why okay. I picked it up. But it was a bit written by this guy who had basically uh, done so well in beating uh, 21, Blackjack, yeah, yeah. that he, and he's like in his early 20s Asian guy, okay. you know, college kid, yeah. did this in college initially. Yeah. He can't go to any casino like in America or Europe, I Yeah, think. you do get blacklisted. Like he's completely out yeah. because you can beat Blackjack yeah. uh, if you if you do it right. Right. Poker is, you're playing against other humans. That's maybe where the obsession comes in. You have to be obsessive to beat Blackjack, but there yeah. you're doing it strictly for the money something about poker and i think this may be what makes chess interesting too is you're, you're seeing truly the other person's mind at work right on levels right and, and asking or with poker it's like really their whole person it's yeah. their whole body right you know uh are you going to go with your tell or not and so it's it, it's combat um it's intellectual combat i don't know I'm drawn to that, but the way you talk about it makes me wonder why. And I think that's the answer worth pondering. It's also it's also simulated combat. So true. Yeah. So I mean, uh, with chess, it's pretty straightforward because the simulation is a simulation of an army. Yeah. Right. And um, it is your whole body, which is why they, you can lose so many pounds playing chess tournaments. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Uh, they have to like eat a ton and actually physically. Because your train. mind is just processing yeah. so many calories. Your brain is just yeah. like, eating yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the controversies within chess will generally concern play style, which are taken to be proxies actually for certain ways of being. Huh. And so there are objections to being too defensive in chess, not because it doesn't win, because it, but because it's not sporting. Yeah, right. That is, you're not really fighting. You're just waiting until the other right. guy is worn Makes down. Makes a mistake, right. And there's something inherently dishonorable about it. But if you believe that winning in and of itself, this is very American, winning in and of itself is good, no matter how you got there. You shouldn't have a problem with that or with Vegas because there were certain people that won a lot from Vegas. They made enormous fortunes. And Kirk Kerkorian uh, made such a big fortune. I mean, he was given like a medal by uh, the nation of Armenia for all of the charity that he's given oh, to wow. Armenian causes, including Armenian Orthodoxy. 
Now, Armenia uh, yeah. came up again now. This is in former Yugoslavia, is that correct? No, it's no. in the former Soviet Union. Former Soviet Union. And it's one of those places that, like, <laughs> I think unless you're Armenian, so unless you've, like, looked into the Kardashians deeper than just their antics. You so would... what would distinguish an Armenian from, say, um, Kazakhstan okay. and any of the other failed Russian states? They are they are Caucasian in the literal sense of the word. Literally. So they are its yeah. own group. And in that, they're, they're the hustlers? They do the dance? No. They squat and kick their legs in the air? Those are Cossacks. Cossacks. No. Uh, oh, okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, so, no, there's some so the Armenians are genetically closer to like um, Chechens. Chechen, okay. Than they would be to Russians or Ukrainians. But they're, uh, they're a Christian people. Uh-huh. And, but they're within this sort of, um, they're within the cultural orbit perpetually of Turkey and Iran. They were genocided by the Turks during the First World War. Hmm. And there were lots of deportations. And that's all stuff that usually only Armenians and Turks know about. But then their connection to Las Vegas is simply having some men who were part of this yeah, syndicate because, well, who well, because are of Armenian descent? That's part of it. There are Armenians in the syndicate, as there are Jews. But the Armenians are unusual in being like Persians, a kind of West Coast-centric diaspora. And so the way that that is kind of quintessentially, at least modern American, is that there's an ethnic group of which people are generally not aware unless you're in contact with them. Mm -hmm. You know, so like unless you're from New England, you probably don't know that there are tons of Portuguese in America. Yeah, right. You know, and so when someone makes the money, if he's ethnically self-aware, he gives back to that ethnic group. So Kerkorian does the same for his group that the Jews that are active and successful in Las Vegas will do for their group. And the, Sam Cassell built a giant gymnasium for Christ Lutheran Church and School in Peoria, Illinois, okay, because go. he grew up playing basketball there in the CMS. Yeah, you know, yeah. So stuff like that. So the places that that doesn't happen is where the person is kind of like ethnically non-specific in America, which would be like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. where his family is actually relatively recent immigrants on both sides, yeah, from Scotland and Germany. But yeah. because that like doesn't transmute into any specific ethnic group. Trump is not famous for be, for giving his people a, a university or something. He doesn't like have that. any, right. in a sense. He doesn't have. Right. A I people. mean, who? I think of that for myself. Uh, who would that be? Uh, it just even though we've got what three, four generations on one side yeah. and five or six on the other, yeah. none of that means anything to who I am now. Unfortunately, well, because I think that is because ethnicity is something. It it involves genetics, but it's something more than genetics mm-hmm. that involves self conception. Mm-hmm. And so Mormons, for instance, are actually overwhelmingly colonial stock Americans hmm. who generally, like, that's my own group, don't have a self-conception. But because Mormons have a religion, they have an ethnic self-conception. And hmm. because I am from Appalachia, I have an ethnic self-conception. But if I had grown up in suburban New Jersey, I wouldn't. Right. You know, because generally if you are sort of like Protestant white, you don't have an identity in modern America. you familiar with bad religion? No. 21st century digital boy. I don't know how to but live. I, I mean, I, but I, I th- got a lot of toys. I think that is because America is a place that usually dilutes things like that. Mm-hmm. No matter your genetics, it dilutes things it, like that. Because it wants to. To make it in the casino, you don't have to be anyone specifically. You just have to be successful. And that's why a place I find like Vegas simply an intensification. Because mm-hmm. Vegas has no dominant ethnicity of any kind. Not... Wasp, not Jewish, not Mexican. Hmm. It has no dominant ethnicity of any kind. 
there are tons of Filipinos in Vegas. Nobody would know that specifically. Well, isn't much of the city and culture not really even about the Strip at this point as well? It's just its own thing? Well, it's got, you know, because it's in the Mountain West, it's got more Mormons than Mm. a place usually does in America. There's a lot of LCMS out there. There is. Which is weird, really. Yeah. Uh, Given how slow... LCMS Lutherans are to move and engage new areas at all. Right. But there are more, you know, the reason, part of that reason for that is that the LCMS being a 19th century immigrant group is more predominant in the West than in the East. Okay. So, you know, there's no LCMS church in Atlantic City, which is the Vegas of the East Coast. Right. Okay. I see But we have a whole, we have a bunch. We have a whole. It's just, I find it strange because it seems to be a bounce back. So, whereas um, you kind of had to go out to California and then come back into Las Vegas. Right, right, you did. That's not a move. Church bodies that were were growing like ours did at that time would do a lot of. So, it's, what's strange is that whereas California, Missouri State Lutheranism, and this is a sociological inquiry more than anything, um, or the schools and the churches, the the struggle clothes or are losing their identity. Yeah. Vegas seems to have been a place where that's not happened as fast. It's a boom town still. Yeah, it's, it's still a, it is still a boom town. Yeah, and maybe that's... I mean, it fell hard in 2008, as did Florida. Wow. Everything. But Florida and Nevada are still both gaining in population very easily. Boom town. There are still boom towns. I've been pondering that a lot since our last conversation. America is boom town and kind of the chew it up, spit it out, yeah. get the resources, get suckers to move there. Right. And... So I've been asking a little bit then, you know, are there still the boom towns as as certain ones are being destroyed? Oklahoma City popped into my mind because of the fiber optic cable investment that's been going yeah. on there. They're yeah. trying to make it a city of the future. Right. I feel like Toronto is I've heard things about Toronto also being building up a lot. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't. But when I was in the conversation and brought up Oklahoma City and I brought up Omaha, yeah. um, because my experience of visiting Omaha was like Dear heavens, this place is kind of cool. How'd that happen? Yeah, I think Denver is like that. I think, think Denver still? Yeah, okay. I think, I, well, I think what the empire is doing is that the coasts are becoming completely unsustainable. Mm. And so it's now beginning to move inland. And, you know, a pioneer of that was Austin, Texas, yeah, which is a complete outlier in its own state, yeah, um, but less, but less than it was. Yeah. And so the empire is now moving inland because... Uh, empires need cities and they can't have completely dysfunctional cities such as San Francisco is or is becoming. And it's the reason for uh, it all becoming dysfunctional is it's been sucked dry of all its potential resources. I mean, is that what I think the, I think the, the reason, the reason these things have to shift and the reason that something like Las Vegas or Denver or uh, Colorado Springs has to be built up is because there is a sweet spot where everyone can still benefit hmm. from the systems functioning in that place. Yeah. Sometimes that will tip and then it only comes to benefit whatever underclass exists, um, which is usually a first generation underclass mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, continued immigration is completely necessary to the system because you can't let... Well, that's... Is, so you, 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 you can let... And, and, and the tax structure works this way too because the least incentive that you have in the tax structure is to be somebody that works for a living. Right. The most incentive, the thing that is most incentivized by our tax code is real estate investment. Interesting. And so um, even more than owning a business. Right. Or working for yourself. And so once a place retreats into having um, an upper class and an underclass and then everything in between not really being sustainable, 
then you need to take that somewhere else. So you need to go to Idaho or you need to go to Colorado or whatever. Right, right. So we're seeing the East Coast cities being abandoned to minority immigration as sort of a filling of the space with people who... I actually know, but so the, then the tax, they won't be able to support themselves financially yeah. as, as those edges because the states break it up. So if, if the empire could run from the center, I could see how you could then funnel bread out to the corners and it would still make sense. I don't see how this plan, and I, I'm not talking like I like this plan or yeah, I think yeah, empire yeah, is yeah. how we should do whatever, yeah. but it seems to me that you're, you're speaking truth. Yeah. It is an empire, always has been. This can't work unless you're actually an empire, this move, Correct. and we're not an empire. We're going to fracture instead, and then what happens? Now you have multiple states, yeah. really as states. I think um, I think something that you can see happening already with COVID is that the reasons for investment in city centers, which were outside really exceptional places, they were about commercial real estate. Mm. Those places are being devalued, and what's going to happen after devaluation? Because the same thing already happened to kind of white ethnic neighborhoods and cities in the 50s and 60s, which is... You said this can't exist anymore. So like in Philadelphia, you had, which is the place that I certainly know the best, you had an alliance between real estate development and black political activity, okay. which cleared out white ethnic neighborhoods. Yeah, Blacks occupied some of that, but what really happened was that real estate developers of any ethnicity benefited because you move, you buy you, the you poor... move small-time homeowners out yeah. and you make homeowning prohibitively dangerous Impossible. and expensive. right. And then you can control that market. Yeah, the slumlord. Because the more tenancy that you have in home ownership, the more real estate investment can benefit. I, I can't really benefit if you own your home free and clear. Right. Well, in Illinois, they still tax you. But, <laughs> but, but, but it's but less. So, but so I think, I think what you're seeing now is that um, you're going to take a place like Baltimore or Philadelphia. And gentrification, people look at gentrification as purely kind of like a like an ethnic struggle okay um it's like the reverse of white flight whites always get blamed so they get right. blamed if they go and right. they get blamed if they come right okay but i think the person who always benefits from real estate exchanges is the person who is the middleman there the sort of hermes figure yeah who whatever his ethnicity he's going to make money off exchange and change mm-hmm. he's not going to make money off people owning their homes whether they're black or white He's going to come into the burnt over areas, all yeah. been cleared out. He's going to buy the cheap land. Right. He's going to put up the new shops, say, oh, look, it's all nice now. Right. Come on in. And if you can do that with a wide enough spectrum of a city, yeah. you could make so much money, right. especially getting the wealthy immigrants to come right. to the city. So now, maybe I, that's not the actual plan, but it sure sounds like a If good I one. can't make money off of expansion, off yeah. of a new neighborhood outside Las Vegas or a new neighborhood outside Denver. Burn down I, this one. Yeah. What I can make money off is the redevelopment of something like Baltimore that's been there for 200 plus years. And that's exactly what they're going to do. Um, and that's exactly what they're already doing because a dynamic nobody talks about because no one even knows what it could be done with it politically is that black neighborhoods get effaced by Hispanic immigration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, happening in Rockford. Yeah, Slowly, it's but totally, it's happening. Totally is happening on the east and southeast side of Baltimore. And so when that happens... What you now have is yet another changeover and yet another possibility for money to be made. Yeah, and that sure. the, the the ongoing dynamic of America is not simply and only racial or ethnic strife, because um, it doesn't always exist everywhere. It is changeover and economic exchange and money being made in the trading 
mm-hmm. that goes on. If yeah. that if that stopped, if that trading stopped, if there was no more exurb to develop 15 miles outside the city center, or I couldn't redevelop this neighborhood because the people just would not leave, mm. then you would have big problems because mm. I think that America is a kind of roulette wheel going around and around and around. And if someone stops spinning, that's when there's going to be big problems. Do you foresee that happening anytime soon? What would be what would what would result in stop spinning short of nuclear? Well, the roulette wheel the roulette wheel is an exchange is a flow of resources that ensures that the underclass is fed. I mean, our underclass opiate. has obesity problems. Need the opiate. Yeah, the opiate is that uh, if you work, you can sort of have a life. Yeah. If you don't work. You can definitely have a life, hmm. whether you're above working or below working, mm-hmm. you can, you know, and as long as that keeps going, then the casino can stay open. The casino cannot stay open if we decide to have a historically normal country where we all agree that we're going to live here for the indefinite future. Hmm. Hmm. That's <laughs> scary then. Because it, it relies on mobility and the promise of a different or a better life than my parents had. So boomers got to own homes, which... Honestly, their grandparents often did not. Right. Or they had a farm where they worked, you know, 12 hours, six days a week. Right. Okay. So they didn't have to have that life. They didn't have 10 kids. They had two. They enjoyed life a lot more. Right. Part of the bitterness, even among native born Americans of all races, is that life is not what we were promised it was going to be and it's not getting better. Right. And so I think we can all feel the wheel slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. Which pushes on the time concept that I'd brought up yesterday in our conversation. Um, so maybe we just shift to that for a second. Uh, part of the appeal of Vegas is speed. Yeah. It's, it's right. you're going to crush it all in. I'm going to fly out here and I'm going to get everything I should have had in 35 right. years yeah. into this weekend. Yeah. As opposed to, well, I'll use a, I believe a Navy SEAL phrase, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. There's something about American, ah, I shouldn't say American. It's not modern but it is. It's it's a result of industrialization, but it's sort of like industrialization didn't exactly come on full steam, haha, pun, in, yeah. pun intended, yeah. but it ramped its way up. And now it's at such a a point of speed that, you know, you mentioned the overweight result of the population. Well, I, I, I think it's probably because yeah. we're addicted to foods right. that we need to keep us energized because we're trying to live lives that are frankly impossible yeah, right. physically right. as bodies. And the one that's really you – know, the hermeneutics conversation comes home here. What's unsustainable that I – in my mind, what I have decided is unsustainable is notifications. I can t- yeah. take one more thing telling right. me I should pay attention to it right. that I have not decided already I want to pay attention to. And that physically has taken such a toll on me yeah. that when I talk about I don't want to open my computer, I want to look at my computer, it's because yeah. of that. Yeah. Right? And it's I can feel it like in my nervous system. It like shocks my fingers to like think of notifications. So and I, I don't think I'm just nonsense about this. This is the, the toll of a lifetime of electricity and light yeah. going into a body that was made to run and jump and dig and climb yeah. and a bunch of other stuff. And be governed by sunlight. Yeah. Right. Or its lack. Yeah. 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 And I think this is why I think a fundamental political distinction, if there's anything going forward, is to talk about what is natural versus what is unnatural, mm. which in a nation with our not only racial, but also ethnic diversity and geographic diversity, I can't appeal to somebody's life experience beyond what is natural. So do you feel good when you eat sugar? So I want a political platform built around abolishing you know, disgusting, unnatural oils in food 
and, and abolition yeah. of sugar yeah. because that yeah. would do much more for the population sure than masks. Yeah. What, however much they work, I know that being fat is bad. Especially with COVID. It, yeah. it definitely right. is tied to it. Right. It's definitely tied and to so, it. And so to reorient our politics around what is it, is it natural to kill someone who has never done anything wrong? No. Well, then don't abort your babies. Right. Is it is it natural to live life at this speed? No. But now this, this pushes back on yeah. something we've hit from other angles. The civilized man is having this conversation while the barbarian chops his head off and says, you know, I'll show you what's natural. Right, right, I'll right, show right. you what's supernatural. Well, I think, you know, hermeneutics has its limits because talking has its limits. Yeah. As long as I'm still talking to you, I'm saying that there is some sort of political solution to the problems that we have, whether that's in our personal relationship or our, you know, ethnic groups relationships to each other or whatever it might be. Talking is an indication of hope. We, when we've stopped talking, that's an indication that we don't believe that there's anything worth saying anymore. That's right. And that's the point at which war becomes much likelier. So if you have people who are not able to talk, you have really big political problems on your hands. Well, and that's sort of what we're seeing, isn't it now? Yeah. Although I feel like Vice President Pence did attempt to have conversations. Of, <laughs> of all four, yeah. I would say... Pence, Pence for me is a throwback to like 2002... Yeah. When I still thought, probably naive, I mean, certainly naively, I wasn't that old either, so I won't be that hard on myself. But I thought like, ta I thought issues in politics were things like taxation rates and tax structures or something. Like, yeah. If we could just get a flat tax, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's, it's fine to have discussions like that uh. when you have a society that is like mildly functional. That is, it produces people. Yeah. When Alaric's across the river with his horde, like, you could talk all you want. Yeah. He's just going to talk and then cut your head off afterwards, yeah. right? And, and yeah. you, you have to know who you're dealing with. Yeah. This is where the, uh, we're shifting huge here, but we're past the hour anyway. So, you know, the um, the movement of, of Marxism within BLM and within the anti-fascists, which I only recently learned has been anti-fascism since going back to uh, Germany, I believe. It originates right? in the struggles also funded by the wealthy. Yeah. Also yeah. funded by the wealthy, the Marxist revolutionary movements in a variety of European countries after the First World War. Their utter disdain for truth. Yeah. They don't care. It doesn't and matter. And just by the means. Talking doesn't matter. No. It, it shows you, I mean, a, a, a diabolical or, or an evil, but the words that I think are, are the best if we're going to talk across religions is civilized and barbarian. And that the barbarian in fact, has no use for words. He might find them entertaining. Right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, might yeah. talk long enough that he'll keep you around to laugh at you for a while, yeah. but you know, on a whim, uh, he's just going to kill you. Yeah. Because life doesn't matter, which which pushes right. to you know the question of, of human life. And you did uh, mention abortion, and I don't know that's this is the time the topic. Sanger would be a really good topic for our show, and the movement of Sanger, aside from abortion, as an attempt to eugenicize whole population groups, I yeah. think is, is pretty, pretty intense, actually. But the bigger deal, I think, for here to close, you know, and maybe to push it back to Vegas, then. Vegas is the ultimate barbarian. Uh, he doesn't care. Vegas doesn't care about you at all, as long as you submit to it and do what it says. Um, it'll tell you any story. It'll worship any god, yeah. right? And so in that way, it, it really, strangely, is a is a complete like yin yang a little to the to the puritan first move over here yeah. 
and yet, as you've shown, I think several times the uh, the decaying thread between those two is not so far removed. Yeah, and I think it is. I think it is connected to Puritanism in the sense that it is it fundamentally does not recognize limitation as a factor in human life. So Vegas is a place that you can go and you can go to different casinos and have completely, there's New York, New York. There's all these different experiences of place that you can have in a place that does not on its face yield its own experience. It's, it's a place that is no place, uh, which is the meaning of utopia. You mentioned somebody in a class earlier today who will be unknown to some Schleiermacher and it sounds uh, you're just making tell me if I'm wrong in this. I mean, it almost sounds like you were describing him here as you're describing Vegas. And Schleiermacher's approach to modernism is somewhat like Vegas's approach to the real world, which is that since it isn't going to work for real, I pretend it will yeah. and just pretend loudly. Yeah. Um, is that correct? Does that sound about right? Or um, is that too far a hop? I I think that's too far because I think that I I think that Schleiermacher, who's both a philosopher and a theologian recognizes feeling as primary to human experience in a way that is still more humane, if I think wrong, than the attempt that America makes in so many times and places, which is why Vegas is just like America multiplied, not America strange, to provide an experience that doesn't know limits. You are endlessly perfectible. You are endlessly changeable. And for enough money, you can have anything you want. Limitlessness in a package. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you look at, if you look at places that are often forgotten in America, things that tourists will come, and I, this is a reason that tourism is its own problem. Tourists will come and they'll look at things as quaint. The thing, the image that is most striking to me, and probably where I want to end today, are people with New York plates taking pictures of Amish children playing. In the place that I used to live, Lancaster County, yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, sure, sure. And they're looking at them as if they're... I understand that the Amish appear strange to people. As if they're animals. As if they're animals. But the reason that they are there is because they're trying to keep a certain way uh-huh. that recognizes limits. Yeah. And because there are limits on what a human being can handle, such as separation from family, one limit that they set on themselves is they won't drive cars. Mm-hmm. They'll drive in cars, but only to take a trip to see family. Um, The reason they're not going to drive a car is so that they don't get too far away from something which is fundamental and, dare I say it, natural. Yeah. And so I think it is pushing against nature, which is something that is a basic dynamic in our life in uh, (laughs) late imperial America, to sound a little too Marxist, probably. And so um, that's a basic dynamic that we have. And Vegas is that just more. It's, it's that in spades. Do you Are you familiar with The Masculinist? Have you ever read any of the it's a newsletter no. that comes out every week? No. I, I don't know the guy at okay. all, really. And I only got turned on to it recently. But he does a newsletter every week. He's been just kind of studying American masculinity for a while. Yeah. And it would be in line with some of your own thinking. Yeah. And there was a reason that, that that you made me think of that. What was it? The article that was sent to me. Oh, for pity's sake. So I'll I'll tangent and try to save that with saying, have you seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? I read the book. You read the book. So <laughs> that's probably better. Hunter and, S. Thompson is, I think, I think Thompson captures how unnatural Vegas is. I mean, does it, how does this congeal with, uh, we talked about, is it two weeks ago with, um, uh, 
your favorite oh, I can't I can't Chris ah, Twin Peaks I can't oh. believe I can't think of it Lynch um, David Lynch Dan Lynch there it is yeah. David Lynch yeah uh, Lynch and Thompson recognize that the reason that there's an underbelly in America is because America is trying to be something and is unable to be that something and Lynch is exploring the gap he's looking at the bugs that are on the ground in the picturesque small town mm-hmm. Thompson while he and most of his interlocutors are on drugs are recognizing that this is a place that you go on drugs because you need to escape from its reality you don't want to see it as it really is and I think yeah and I think that that happens every time a human being or a human mm-hmm. society is trying to be something other than what it is when it is straining for what is beyond natural I don't say super but just beyond yeah un yeah well, th- there's there's got to be a difference between super and un. Um, you, you mentioned the natural being terminology for political discourse, and I'm with you on that too. All I think we have a lot of work to do to even to get that term, to yeah, to yeah. get that term allowed in public. But okay, so the the thing I am most disappointed about in this conversation is just the lack of mafia. I, I'm waiting for <laughs> some really cool well uh, stuff. You, I so I'll say this: yeah. this is this is completely different, but it's the kind of thing I was hoping for. So okay. I saw a video this morning. Yeah. From Andy Nago, who is yeah, a on-the-ground gay Asian <laughs> reporter in Portland who does not think Antifa is an idea because right. he follows them and, yeah, and, and, and right. has a video of them. And others say he's been beaten by them and things like that. Right. He showed that last night um, they have now set up a strange – it's got to be called like a, it's like a totem or a statue. But it's made out of all sorts of weird materials and like yeah. the, the – um, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, um, the horns on it are like a real set of elk's horns. So they basically have built an elk, which is interesting given that they already tore down a brass or a, a bronze elk yeah, that had right. stood there for like 100 that's years, right? right? Yeah, so right. they tore that down, but now they've rebuilt this other elk, this like, yeah. this this pagan thing that's there. And looking at it, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm in... Uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, right. What kind of pagan world? This is the weirdest thing. I mean, you know, atheists want to blame Christianity for all the problems in the world. This looks pretty violent to me. We'll have to go here next time because I think that when you're thinking about the mob or the syndicate or, or, you know, violence and bodies buried in the desert, you're still thinking on the level of essentially political and economic activity. And I think that the insight behind something like Eyes Wide Shut or True Detective season one, I have, I've, I've only watched like five things, but I've thought a lot about them. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the insight underneath that is that underneath political and economic activity, human beings are always religious. That there's no way out of being religious in the way that you conduct life. What do you mean when you say religion, though? Some people will use that term. For yeah, I don't mean. I don't mean like. Um, paying a preacher by a religious i mean that you are going to have to assign certain symbols and events yeah with more you're going to have to give them more freight you're driven by an ideology not all ideologies yeah. and it's not even they're not even words necessarily right hermeneutics Gets can't, back to that. can't get to all of it yeah but the idea of putting horns on something true dance around it goes incredibly deeply in European paganism. I just don't understand why if you have a bronze god, you wouldn't keep it and you'd want to build one out of like bedsheets. I'm not sure. Well, I I think it's because bronze like animal statues in the West are fundamentally Christianized in the sense that they Uh are 
they are objects concerning objective nature. Yeah. They're not to be worshipped. Yeah. They're just, they're just... It was just an elk. It's just an elk. And for huh. it to be something else, I do have to... I do have to... If I'm going to have idols, I have to make them with my own hands. I have to sanctify it. They yeah. burned it and burned it and burned it yeah. night after night. It was... Yeah. I mean, how interesting. And then who's doing it? One of my favorite... And most terrifying, and I hate this thought, thoughts out of the Dan Carlin, Wrath of the Khans, all the way through Genghis to Kublai, yeah. is that when Genghis Khan learns about the Nestorian, Eastern Byzantine, very corrupted Christian empires, multiple ones yeah. who are all fighting with each other, when he learns of their religion and their God, he decides that he's one of the people their God sends to punish them when they don't believe what they are because, and when they complain, he says, look, you don't believe what you are and I'm from right. your God to punish you. Right. And then he goes and he does it. Right. I mean, this is a, this is an antichrist. If you want to use the term yeah. man of law, that says great power, world power yeah. who really, I thought that was pretty pious, frankly, I'd be like, well, it looks like their God says I'm supposed to, you know, go do these things. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. go ahead and believe yeah. his authority, which yeah. says they must fall and go fight them. I wonder then if it's to take it out of God and put yeah. it into simply that natural yeah. And that the natural will crush the unnatural. That's what evolution yeah. claims for pity's yeah. sakes, right? Yeah. What must survive? How long can any empire survive unnaturally, which is precisely yeah. what you're saying we're trying to well, do? Well, I mean, it just can't. And America just isn't that old. So, And its power is within my grandparents' lifetimes. It's It's absolute worldwide so, power okay so then it, yeah which is ridiculous that's, like true hegemony in right? the in the in the scheme of empires it's nothing it's nothing the time there are things that have ruled for twice as long the names of which nobody knows well and then okay so this gets back to something that carlin said that i pushed at you when we were doing hitler yeah uh, earlier like way at the start was that in some ways he won as an ideologue and the real empires are not are, are zeitgeist, not men holding real estate. So you know the in Solomon says as much as as wisdom in Ecclesiastes. Like you can build and build and build. You don't know what fool is going to take what you yeah. did afterwards. Right. What's interesting about the syndicate is they seem to have gotten around the fool, insofar as they exist, or they have some checks and balances for killing Frankie out back in the boat. I mean, we remember that scene, right? Wasn't it Frankie? <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I think what. What happens is that the syndicate becomes more and more. I mean, the function of Los Angeles and Las Vegas, among other things, for the Chicago syndicate is that they launder the gains. The gains can go above ground because right. above ground gains are more sustainable than underground gains. I, so, why would I? Why would I continue running a series of dice games on the street when right. I can run a casino? Right. So, right. I think that power usually moves above ground in order to be sustainable, even if it begins as completely, not only illegitimate, but illegal. It wants to legitimize itself usually, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, because I think that's simply a better way to hold on to stuff. I mean, there's there, there's an interesting thought that almost all human action is justification on some level. But then, you know, so Genghis Khan, toward the end of his career, becomes very concerned with leaving legacy that will yeah. last right, right, right. even though he's just spent a lifetime destroying every legacy that was ever left yeah. Kublai again becomes the fruition of that at a certain yeah. point which yeah. just ends up being China again but that that need to make a name for oneself right. again even though it involves tearing down to build upon what someone yeah. else had right it sounds like a similar story to me just in 
maybe a more a more macro scale than yeah, what we're seeing. Right, right. And 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 longer lasting because you're not pushing against limitations that So what about yeah. the, the suburban whoever okay. white guy who's listening okay. to this? Okay. I, I don't know. Are you not white? Are you not a guy? Do you listen to two white guys? Please We'd like us. to hear from you. Please <laughs> Thank but you very much. If you're a white guy in his mom's basement, listen to us this because that's all, yeah. you know, conspiracy theorists do and you <laughs> actually live in your mom's basement here on campus yeah, exactly. and I live in my mom's basement right. as well. Right, exactly. What do we say to that guy who hears this and it just sounds like you know, America's done, it's hopeless. I mean, okay, Gen X, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, you complain, but what do you do? What yeah. do you do about this? Yeah. Um, Secular. This is, actually what people, this is actually what people write me about. These are the messages that I get from the show. I think that one thing that you do is that you just adjust to the fact that what you were taught is not actually worth investing in. Hmm. And so you begin to invest in things that are right in front of you. So if you are overweight, lose weight. If you feel awful every day, make sure that your body stops feeling so awful. If you feel like you don't know things, then you need to disconnect from your phone more and read a book. It's It's not really that hard because the way that we are trained to behave in our society is so completely unnatural that the solutions are really very simple. They are simple. What I found is willpower generally will not be enough alone. And find other people that want to do the same thing. Need accountability. Because without other people, it is really impossible. And you've been trained not only to want these different consumer experiences that warp your body and your mind, you've also been trained to do that alone. Yeah. So instead of you know staying near people that love you you need to go make money somewhere that you've never been before right right and so that that sort of a thing the solutions really are pretty simple and i we should probably start going into the more i mean there's so much to talk about that is such a mess and so wild and crazy how could you ever talk about the history of power without talking about sugar yeah. We're talking where slavery came from, for pity's sake. I mean, tobacco's part of that, too. Yeah. So, right, because because when you're, when you're talking about the notion of even, like, a cash crop, mm-hmm. whether it's cotton or sugar or whatever, and the sugar in the Caribbean, you're already talking about something that isn't really, like, necessary, because necessities are generally attended it's to in any society yeah. by subsistence farming. Yeah, it's a luxury. Yeah. Um, that we've turned into uh, a subsistence or a substance right. that we a ne- eat, and that's why necessity. it's given us yeah. so much trouble. Right. I wanted to emphasize, kind of though, as we talk about not doing it alone, whatever that might be, finding the present, finding what that means. Oh, this was it. You got to be ready to repent, and I don't mean this in a biblical moral sense. Uh, this morning, I had somebody tweet at me two tweets. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, about how offensive it was that as a pastor yeah i had a tweet pinned to my page about mask information yeah from a conservative think tank yeah and how as a pastor this would be offensive because it wasn't really a a biblical thing okay now whatever about the issue itself the, the the bigger problem to me is when i find information on twitter or elsewhere that disagrees with my narrative yeah my response is wow I wonder why that is and how that could fit. Yeah. Whereas it seems to be most people operate from uh, 
that can't possibly be true. I won't even look into it. Yeah. Perspective, particularly on issues which are harming themselves and their own right, conscience. Right, 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 yeah. And so things like diet, exercise, lifestyle, sure. the pain of lack of sleep, we can't even look in the mirror and say it's there, right. let alone talk about the cause. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's human nature to be resistant to change because I don't think we're actually like set up to change mm. a ton. Mm. We just generally have not in history. But I think also that becomes an enormous problem when what is really unnatural and, and is like makes you feel awful, makes you behave awfully to others. What is unnatural is na- is normalized, right? So there's a difference here between nature and normal. Mm. And normal, whether it's new normal or new new normal or whatever, can always be altered. Right. You know, so it's normal to have a golf course in Las Vegas with grass all over the place like golf was invented in northern scotland we got all these geese these stupid canadian geese in my in my lake right now (laughs) because it's illegal to apparently hurt them for some reason so they they come from there's no shortage of that's that's a that's a least concern level of it's so amazing and it's an international law so it's because of canada that we have this law anyway the, the way I mean, imagine bird, being dominated birds, by Canada. I know. Well, we are in this regard. <laughs> Illinois, hello. Um, it's not just Illinois. I don't think birds in general operate this way. A lot of animals operate this way, but yeah. the geese are really evident in. It's sort of a barking show. Yeah. And and who can bark the loudest and get the follow? Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, Twitter is a bird thing. Yeah. Yeah. The the human communication that we're d- talking about when. If the if the if the story that you actually believe is the true story, yeah, is not being barked, yeah, and the other stories are getting barked louder, yeah, in a world in which there is not critical thinking but barbarians, right. the barbarians will follow the loud, right. So, being in the present now, your answer I think is correct that we have to invest in civilizing now, but we also have to invest in how to be heard. Yes. In, in barking loudly and, and in maybe realizing that you can't play the same game with every target audience, I suppose. Uh, you have to distill no. your message to where it needs to go. And conservative thinking has not ever figured out how to get the hillbilly to trust him. Okay, I think... Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I think so. Like two things. One is self-mastery is absolutely key. There can be no, there can be no civitas or polis without self-mastery, because if you can't master yourself, you're going to be too fat or too lazy to fight in the army when the city is is threatened. So self-mastery is absolutely key. I think in addition to that, you have to recognize that the fundamental mistake of conservative politics is trying to appeal to something or someone who is not there. Right. And so I don't need to appeal to... And and, and I, I think the left is right about this. A lot of the appeal of like Trump is to white boomers for a country that they did actually grow up in. Right. That I, as a white man, did not grow up in. And people who are not white don't remember and didn't grow up because America was like 90% white at the time. Right, right. And so to talk in the ways that Trump does drives out a certain demographic. It's not what motivates me to vote for him because I don't remember America being great. So what do you mean again? Mm. So I think that you have to be attentive to your audience if you're talking about personal change and accountability and being with other people, share this show with people that you trust so that you guys are on the same page. Right. Because you don't need 1,500 people 
in your town to be on the same page. In order to affect actual local change, you need more like 15. Right. But you got to share a common language. Right. And by that, I mean a common hermeneutic yeah. for your life. Right. Uh, and goals yeah. and and a kind of a way of life. That, I, that I would say that doesn't have to be pre-made. Uh, that comes together through conversation, um, uh, you know, iron sharpening iron, dialogue, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the idea, again, that finding the other person and their their real struggle, whatever yeah, that is, right. and your own and where they align in a similar story that enables you to trust. Yeah. And American society, does, I mean, you mentioned it with regard to politics earlier. I've mentioned today earlier with regard to this church body mm-hmm. and the seminary campus. Yeah. Um, makes me think of bowling alone. Familiar with the, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Is it just that we're individuals? You mentioned, you know, harping on individualism. Yeah. Is it really individualism that's the problem? Or is there a, a problem with trust? Uh, and that's a human problem too. And yet it seems to me there are times and places where the civilization is able to get you to trust your neighbor. Right. And we live in a time where every day we seem to be trusting our neighbors less. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so the present you say is invest in your neighborhood. Yeah. Meet your neighbor. Yeah. Your your actual neighbor, not the neighbor in the like metaphorical modern Christian sense of somebody who isn't you. Like the Samaritan who you found beaten on the side of the road, you're supposed to help someday when you find someone in that situation. So if you, like if you and your kids are all looking at different screens at the same time, you should be a lot more worried about that yeah, than anything else. Because you're being given different code. That's right. <laughs> Adam, is, is awesome to talk with you. I'm Jonathan Fist. That's Adam Koontz. We're two white guys. And like I said before, it was a lot of mansplaining. So if you made it this long, you're probably also a man. And if you're not, we want to hear from you. Redfist.com slash contact. <laughs>